Vanilla Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale August 24th, 2022. And I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada, a.k.a. Just Jasmine, a.k.a. Agent W. Good. I like it. Let's keep it rolling. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, we are. We are excited. Lots of comics to talk about. We are still in the midst of Spider Month this week and next week. We are rolling along. Hope everybody checked out that bonus episode that we did with Mark Bagley. So good. And it was such a fun time recording and talking to him. Yeah, he's one of the goats and we are very happy. We have lots more Spidey to get to this week and so much more. Jasmine, tell me something cool. I had a long weekend because I took Monday off um, and I read lots of Spider-Man. Not just because it's work, but also because I've been, I, I have a huge, huge to read pile. Mm. Um, so I put some work into that. Um, but one of the books that I read was written by our guest today. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but we have so much show for y'all. If you're just joining us for the first time or just, you know, getting used to the show, we are the official Marvel Comics podcast for Marvel Comics. Yeah, something like that. And we're going to talk about all the new issues on sale this week. Uh, We're going to let you know our favorite picks, the ones that we stand hard and fast behind. We're going to give out awards and get some community, some emails, some tweets from all of y'all. Thank you so much. Sometimes we get to them a little bit later. So um, some of these are holdovers from last week. Mm -hmm. But we see you. We hear you. We read your messages. And we love you. Yeah, Uh, we're going to get into what's hitting Marvel Unlimited, our amazing subscription service, including the new Infinity Comics this week, which are our vertical scrolling comics. We'll talk about what collections are on sale. And then on top of all that, we have a reading club. Jasmine, what are we talking about? We are talking to Preeti Cheever about Spidey, which is from 2015, 2016. It's a short 12 issue run by Robbie Thompson um, and a couple of different artists. And then on top of that, we're also going to be talking about Spider-Man's Social Dilemma, which is the uh, YA novel that Preeti wrote, which I also read this past weekend. It's delightful. Mm-hmm. And before we get into the comics of it all, I just want to remind everyone that uh, thank you to Marvel.com editor Megan Demore and the team over there. They are putting up some really great articles that go alongside our reading club conversations and our guests. We'll make sure to link those in the show notes um, and we'll get into more of the Spidey talk later. Wait a minute. No, we're going to get into Spidey talk now because we're getting into our picks of the week, starting with Amazing Spider-Man number eight. Oh, Oh, man. Brought to us by writer Zeb Wells, penciled by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Meniz, and lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna. We probably picked this run of Amazing Spider-Man like four or five times already. Easily. I can't help it. It's it's so good. It opens up with Spider-Man in freefall, about to die after getting his butt kicked by a very angry Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. the Vulture, and then getting tossed out of the sky over New York City. And so you open up in media res as Spider-Man's like, Oh, I'm falling. What do I do? Oh, okay. And then he, this great moment. And I don't know that I've ever seen it before. Mm -mm. Spidey pops all of his web cartridges at once and then go, and they just create a little bit of a cushion for him. He still crashes down and, you know, gets a little bit damaged, but much better off than he would have been otherwise. But I like that. It also means he's kind of out of webs. What they do in this is find ways to put Peter with his back against the wall, push him through the wall with the bricks falling on top of him, and then push him against another wall. Yeah. And that's the way you have to do a Spidey story a lot of times. You got to make him in peril. You got to show that Spidey is up against things that would put down anyone else, but he Mm -hmm. always finds a way to persevere. Or maybe not always. Sometimes he doesn't. And not only does it push him against the wall, but it also makes him like he needs a solution. And in order to continue fighting Vulture, he needs a specific solution that, you know, we got introduced to in the last issue, which is Norman Osborn's Spider-Man suit um, that he offered him. So we get that interaction and it's not quite what you would expect it to be. He immediately calls Norman Osborn and is just like, hey, I need the suit. And what happens next is very fascinating. It encapsulates who these characters are. Um, in a nutshell. Yeah. The vulture Spidey fight sort of, you know, spans these, this issue and the previous issue. I really dug it. I think vulture's motivations, you, you feel it. He, he's angry at Spider-Man for the way that vulture's granddaughter has sort of turned on him when she figured out what he really was all about. And he blames it on Spider-Man, even though it's all his own 
doing. Like the reason why she's angry with him is because he's a murderer. Clearly, because it's Peter Parker and Spider-Man, at some point, it's all going to go incredibly wrong. But I like Absolutely. I want to see him get some wins. The last page of this issue is great. It's a, a different vibe than we're used to for the characters there. What it means for them, for their for their history and their future is really something special. I Absolutely. dig the hell out of this run so much. It's so good. Also, something else that's really good is my first pick of the week, which is Fantastic Four number 46, written by Dan Slott with art by Kafu, uh, colors by Jesus Arbatov, letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. This is the last issue in Dan Slott's Fantastic Four run, and it is a bittersweet goodbye. Not only because I'm a huge fan of his work, but I'm also a huge fan of Fantastic Four. I was introduced to uh, comics through Fantastic Four, and he just has, like, Dan Slott just has this love for these characters, and you you can feel it in this book. His letter at the end of this book, he talks about that, that love and how he also got into comics through Fantastic Four. This last final story that he writes is pretty much Fantastic Four at its core. They're, they're going out on adventures. They're not superheroes. They're, they're adventurers, and they're scientists, and what ends up happening is they have a mishap while they're on these adventures, and they just so happen to have superpowers, so they deal with it. But one of the other elements of this this run that I really adored is the the family, like the themes of family throughout this book, and you know what makes a family, whose family, um, chosen family, and like there are all these different elements that kind of wrap up here in a nice little bow. And whether it's Alicia and Ben and his new and their two children, or if it's Reed Richards meeting his long lost sister, or if it's uh, the Human Torch over here, you know, going to Spire and dealing with uh, his supposed uh, soulmate. And it's really just well told and really tight. And one of my favorite elements in this particular issue is that while they go on this adventure to Spire to go, you know, essentially cure Human Torch after he's been just on fire for the past, like without being able to turn off the flame for the past year, they do bump into an accident. We don't spend too much time in that fight we wake up as an audience and as a reader in the microverse and like you just see the psycho man you're like what is happening mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter like that's not what the story is about the story isn't about the fight it's about the like the elements and the characters and like while this is happening we have reed richards who's been like hit by the uh emotion like or controller that uh the psycho man has and he's just like sobbing and crying and like angry and he's just like trying to emote all of these like feelings that he has towards his sister towards his dad towards his family and it's just like it takes that for him to just break and like you know really like express his feelings because he's such a like got a hard shell you know what it's hard to even say he's not a very emotional human being i think he is he is very logical but there there are flashes of emotion and there's the coldness to him but that's i think it's because he's he gets so focused as a character mm -hmm. in, in like what he does when he's not he he has cultivated loving relationships he he has been seen as a you know a human with with feelings and emotions yeah he's not a robot he's not a complete robot not complete robot look a lot of ff talk now and i think it's only gonna get more and more we've got a new mm -hmm. fantastic four series coming in november from ryan north and Aban coelho which is gonna be awesome it's gonna be insane yeah so uh and now you have four years of great fantastic four stories to go read if you've missed out on them so dig in I can't wait to go back and read all of these like as one unit. Let's keep it rolling on to our third pick of the week. And I'll be honest, I flipped a coin. And when I say coin, I mean uh, the thing that I had closest to me, which was a uh, an SD card. I flipped that <laughs> to choose my third pick because I was so torn between uh, two books that I really, really loved. And it goes to Defenders Beyond number two. I definitely picked Defenders Beyond number one last time the issue came out. But I, this is, this is just like rip my jaws open and shove this issue into my throat. I love it so much. It is weird and big and it takes huge swings and is a lot of comics. It's not going to be for everyone. I'll be completely honest with, with you, but I love it so much. It is brought to us by writer Al Ewing, art by Javier Rodriguez, um, but they are very much co-storytellers for this and the way mm -hmm. that they work together. Uh, VC's Joe Caramagna is the letterer. And um, this one opens up with this beautiful full page splash of the Beyonder, the way we think of the Beyonder saying, 
in the beginning. And this issue is able to say, okay, great. The original 1984 Secret Wars, Secret Wars 2, Secret Wars by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Rabish and everybody, all the Avengers stories that led up to that, Ultimates and Ultimates 2, and the Defender series, those last three written by Al Ewing, all connected. And here's how. It's like it takes a, a needle and thread, weaves them together in this tapestry where, you know, like sometimes you may say, well, maybe this didn't count. No, Al says it all counts. We did this, this. These are the stories we told. And here's how it flows together. On top of that, building uh, an entire history of universes and bringing them together. There's this great concept of the different cosmoses. So like the universe begins and then it ends. And each one of those is a cosmos. And we saw in the first series of Defenders by Al and Javier, how they said, all right, the first cosmos was like archetypal beings and establishing these, these creatures and how that evolved and how eternity evolved and the celestials. And then you bring in the, the, the beyonders in here and you get this really weird, big history of of marvel concepts it is big and celebratory it will probably i know for myself it takes a couple of reads to fully absorb yes. all the ways it's it's conceptualizing things because partially i'm so enamored with the beauty of this series yeah i mean like just the art alone like you can just do one whole pass where you're just staring at the artwork that javier rodriguez does but i was like you were it took a couple different reads for me to like really soak it all in and also, like, I pulled out my uh, Ultimates collection by Al Ewing because I needed to get a refresher and, like, reread all that stuff. Because it's just like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, it does weave this into it and that into it. And there's a lot of stuff going on in here. But like you said, it's not necessarily a book for everybody. But if you're someone who loves the big picture, like, Cosmos stuff of the Marvel Universe, this is for you. Yeah. It rules so much. It is something I want everyone to check out if they have any sort of, like thought behind the marvel of it all i think this this book really does explore that and then if you read the first series there's this really cool two-page spread that is a map and a, a sort of an explanation of the archetypal characters from the first cosmos which i thought was a really neat just a bit of bonus material in this issue for sure we have more comics to get to but before we do that time for our quotes and community section Woo! All right, Ryan, last week's award was the I was hoping this was a peyote flashback award. And that came from issue number 13 of X-Men. Um, I believe it was Forge who said that. Yes, and it was. We did get a winner. Yeah. Uh, first up, and I will say, I will say the winner was your favorite coaster sucks at YFCS underscore pod on Twitter. But they didn't hashtag it. Ooh. And they didn't tag you. Ooh, Jasmine. I'm offended. So while that is the winner, I'm also going to give second winner awards to Steve Agnew at Viking Prince, who got it as well. Not too far off. And I, Steve was was tweeting about um, having found it early because uh, working from home was able to get to the comic shop a little early. A smart move, bro. Just to make sure you, you secure your comics, you know, take a quick lunch break. Do it to it. Um, and yes, we have, of course, even more. And there was Mr. Titanium at Mr. Titanium 18, who uh, answered us from last week. We were asking yeah. for for Gene's uh, some info on Gene's D&D character, uh, the paladin and the sword. Sadly, Gene says, uh, as many things happen in middle school back in 1983, all signs of my D&D immersion are gone. Well, time to find a necromancer, bring back <laughs> your character, and bring back the sword. Yes. Love that. And also, we got a bunch of people who responded to the United States of Pull List. One, which was from Canada, actually. I mean, he shouted out his shop, the, the comic room, and also shouted out Axe Judgment Day, which sounds like he's really digging. That was Dan Dillon Del Prado over in Toronto, Canada. Yeah, uh, so Dan and a couple of others, uh, thank you for getting to us, even though it was a little late for us to get in the last week. But here you are, Brian Patton, who shouted out Maryland and Beyond Comics in Gaithersburg, which is cool. Um, I believe uh, our one of our producers, Kara, is uh, Maryland. So I don't I don't know geography geography wise, Maryland. That's not the biggest state, right? You could you could find that. It's Cara. pretty tiny, right? 
Yeah, that's like uh, okay. five by five. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, Johnny Lacey, uh, wanted we wanted to say thank you for joining us over the last month uh, that you've discovered the show and shouting out Acme Comics in Sioux City, Iowa. Have we had Iowa yet on the map? Not yet. It puts Iowa on the map. A uh, big thank you to Beckett and Mitch Krumputic for sending us emails. And then uh, finally, Joe Hoffman, um, who was just delighted to to be mentioned. And Joe, if we do some merch in the future, leave you me. You'll hear about it. Uh, we we do got to run with this United States of Pull List. It's so good. We could do it. Um, and we're glad we got you back into the X-Men. Those were all the emails and tweets that we got this week. But are you ready to hear this week's award name? Ryan? Sure am. All right. This one, there was a lot this week that I could have chosen, but you told me to scale it down, so I did. Uh, I went with something that was, you know, simple and and cool. The Hard to Kill Like an Unpaid Bill Award. Um, yeah, and, and I, I've seen some chatter from folks online asking, like, how the quote is picked. Jasmine pulls up, you know, a bunch of quotes from across the issues because we read everything every week, mm-hmm. and then we sort of debate it. So it's a... It's a good process. Try to find one that we know everybody will hopefully be able to find and one that makes sense, rolls off, isn't too long, isn't too short. It's like a, a real special sauce to find the right quote every week. And it works because Ryan's very much like, oh, we got to pick something that everybody can find, something that people will, will, you know, find for sure. And I'm like the mean one who's like, no, this is the most obscure thing possible. And you're like, no, can't do that. No one's going to find it. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. All right. So if you find... The hard to kill like an unpaid bill quote this week when you're reading your comics. Uh, find that quote, screen cap it, tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pulllist at marvel.com. If you're among the first, I will send you an email or a DM and uh, get you something cool for playing along. Let's dive into our fabulous fresh new floppies. First up, we have Axe Judgment Day, number three. Um, and I'm going to give my hard to kill, like an unpaid build award to. I, I, there's so many characters in the series that I could give it to because everyone's playing at a different angle and like they're all trying to come out on top, right? We have three different sides. We have the X-Men, we have the Eternals, and then we have the Avengers who are all trying to, you know, make sure that, you know, the world doesn't blow up in the war. Um, and I'm going to give my award to sinister only because he is so like in the mix of all of this and i'm like this man he's he's a scheming yeah there i almost pitched a quote from uh sinister for this week there's a really good one where he's just being such a sassy just awful creep it was really good i love such an awful creep. i love kieran writing sinister i adore it all right on to avengers forever number eight which was the other flip, the other side of my my coin flip and could have been one of my picks of the week because I friggin' love it so much. Uh, it is a Thor-focused issue in this multiverse-spanning series. Each issue is sort of covered a different member of the Avengers. This one features a Thor. And all I will say, and I will give my hard-to-kill like an unpaid bill award to the God of Fists. All right, next up is... Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number four. Um, This one could have also been in one of my picks because there's a side story in this issue um, that features Joaquin. And I've been talking about it throughout this entire run that I really adore. The thing I like about this particular story and this moment within that story is that like it shows why community matters. Not only like immediate community, but generational community. And I want to give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to Esperanza who is one of the side characters in this book, who just rules. And also because Joaquin's abuelita was named Esperanza, and so was mine. And I love her, and I miss her. So I'm going to give her that award. Love it. We've got Carnage number five this week. I am going to give my Hard to Kill Like an Unpaid Bill award to the team here for making me care about and feel sympathetic toward a murderous dark elf. Uh, There's a really good character-building human side to a character who is just also not a good person not mm-hmm. a good elf but mm-hmm. still i felt for them next up we have damage control number one and after i read this book i think the first thing i texted you or messaged you was this book is all sorts of unhinged and it yeah. is great yeah. it is exactly what you want out of a damage control book it is just 
pure comedy, so many Easter eggs and callbacks to not only the Damage Control series, but also just like the wider Marvel universe. Um, you'll immediately start seeing things on page one. Um, I'm going to give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to poor old Moob Knight. <laughs> poor old, old Moob Knife. Um, because I feel you. I feel you. We all go to a coffee shop and get our name misprinted on, on a coffee cup once in a while. Let's keep it rolling with Gina's Vale, Captain Marvel number two. I'm going to give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill to the Thanos in this issue. It was a really fun moment and how that uh, twisted and changed. Um, there's some cool stuff going on in here. Peter David is is doing Peter David stuff all over this, bringing back a lot of characters, concepts, moments, and things from previous stories of his, and I'm digging it. All right, next up we have Marauders number five, which is the last issue of this arc by Steve Orlando and team. And I could give the hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to so many different characters in this book as well. I mean, everyone from Akihiro or Sumnus or literally anybody else on the team. I'm going to give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill to... Cassandra Nova, who gets the wildest glow up in this issue, and it is so badass and so awesome, and it is named. Go ahead, Ryan. Zixes. Exactly. Zixes. Yeah. All right, on to Miles Morales, Spider Man number 41. Huge issue finishing off this uh, multiverse spanning storyline where we've got our Miles and his clone shift as they've been all around the, the multiverse and bopping around. Um, they wrap it up big giant battle and cool stuff, but I'm going to give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to the team up that happens in here that helps sort of solidify everything. I, I kind of cheered for it. I was like, yeah, get yeah, it's great. It's and really the reveal great. that yeah. like, Oh, so cool. I don't want to mm -hmm. spoil it either. No. Speaking of team ups, we have Shang-Chi and the 10 rings issue number two. And in this issue, we have a team up from a very deep cut from Shang-Chi's past in Marvel Comics. Uh, her name is Liku Wu, who is a love interest. Uh, Shang-Chi used to be in a love triangle with her and another character. Um, but we get to see them team up in this issue. And I'm going to go ahead and give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to Liku Wu because she is so badass in this book. And the, the chemistry between Shang-Chi and her that they share on like the page is so electric and just so much fun. Um, it's a very like spy v spy type of energy. And then we also have Spider-Gwen, Gwen verse number five, which is the last issue of this miniseries. And it wraps up everything really nicely. We get to know a little bit about, you know, where all these Gwens go at the end. Uh, and they finally face off against the the influencer queen at the end of all time named Finale. And thing I'm going to give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to is the origin of the Marvel Universe swear word shock is presented in this issue. And I thought that was such a cool little gem. All right, we've got two Star Wars books this week. First up is Star Wars Darth Vader number 26. There's some really great flashback stuff in here that I dug, but I'm going to give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to Darth Vader Pod Racer. Yeah. Hell yeah, bro. So wizard, Annie. When they introduced it in the last issue, I was so hyped to see it. And then we have Star Wars Dr. Afra number 23 this week. There's a lot going on here. One, I, I will give my official hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to the Ascendant, the uh, this like consciousness that is really evil, really messed up and is uh, taken over Dr. Afra's body. It is twisted and delicious and provides a lot of stuff. There's also great return of a, a character who's really important to Afra's comics and life and stuff. All that is great, but I'm giving a second hard to kill like an unpaid bill award to a Mon Calamari mm -hmm. Uh, who appears in this issue that goes by the name of Tucker. Ooh. And uh, I got this. I, I got to this page and I was like, this has to be named after our wonderful sweet boy, Tucker Chet Marcus, previous co-host of Marvel's pull list. So um, yeah, if you're looking for some Tucker content, it's right here. Amazing. All right. Last issue of the week is Wolverine patch number five and all right, stick with me on this one. Mm. I'm going to give my hard to kill like an unpaid bill to the man himself, Wolverine, because not only does he survive going up against these KGB mandroids uh, where he gets nearly stomped on uh, by him, gets slashed all over the place by them. He also managed to survive the bullets that are raining down on him from one of the helicopters as he's using himself as a body shield 
to shield some, someone else. And then finally, barely makes it out alive in this whole thing. And it is just fascinating to see, like, you know, how much his body can take. Um, so he's going to get that award because I feel like the award is pretty much named after him. Dig it, dig it, dig it. All right. Time for collections. Lots of stuff this week. Jasmine, looks like you highlighted one in particular. Yeah, I'm going to highlight World War Hulk, the omnibus, um, because I don't know. I like I like when Hulk's in space and when he comes back, things get interesting. You might want to keep an eye on that one. Smashy, smash, smash. Um, there's lots of stuff in here that's really great this week. There's uh, Devil's Reign, the big uh, Daredevil-ish crossover event that happened in the last couple of months. It's now collected. Uh, volume 2 of Eternals, Hail Thanos, is now collected. I dig that. There's uh, Silver Surfer Rebirth, King Conan, and plenty, plenty more. You can check those out at your local comic shop. And then hitting the MU service, Marvel Unlimited service, uh, we have a bunch of Infinity Comics. We have X-Men Unlimited, Infinity Comic number 49. We have Avengers Unlimited number 8, Spider-Verse Unlimited, Infinity number 12, Marvel's Voices, America, Infinity Comic number 13, Love Unlimited, Vivision number 12, which I personally really adore, and issue number two of Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal, Infinity Yo, Comic. Go read it. Go tell Frank Thierry you love it, please. So good. So good. Also on Marvel Unlimited this week, of course, tons of issues that are just hitting the service. Marvel's Voices Identity, Immortal X-Men number two, Eternals number 12, Wolverine number 21, and uh, a whole bunch more. You can check all of those out on Marvel Unlimited. Ooh, X-Men Red 2. There's a lot of yes. great issues so many hitting in here. MU this week. Yeah, go, go check them all out while you're there. Uh, you can also check out, we filled in some holes of Daredevil, the Daredevil run issue 234 through 251, filling in a big gap there. I know people always look forward to those. So while you're on Unlimited, checking all these out. Also, go read Spidey. Why, Jasmine? Because we are talking about it this week in our reading club with Preeti Cheever. We're going to be talking about the Spidey run that was written by Robbie Thompson, art by Nick Bradshaw, Andre Lima Arojo, and Nathan Stockman. Um, and colors by Jim Campbell. Yeah, let's do. Let's do. All right, Jasmine, Spidey Month continues with a conversation about Spidey. And we are delighted to be joined by one of our repeat guests, Miss Preeti Jibber. Hello, Preeti. Hi! <laughs> so excited. Yeah. Uh, I know you're pretty familiar with Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Yep. Uh, Peter Parked Car. Um, <laughs> uh, but we, uh, yeah, we got a lot of Spidey stuff to talk about. I'm very excited. So, so glad we are going to be talking about the Spidey series from a couple years ago. It remains one of my all-time favorite comics. and Easily. Rereading it again, I was like, I want to run around the streets and just smack people with a copy of the trade, which will yes. automatically like duplicate it into a copy that they can have in their hands. <laughs> that's magic that I want. Oh, so good. For sure, that's how it works. But yeah, I felt the same way, Ryan. Breezy, I'm really curious about like where this comes in your fandom. But like, I reread this for the first time since it came out, and it just was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, that's right. Like, this is so good. It's so wholesome, and just. I don't know. It's like when you like watch your favorite like comfort show where you're like, oh, yeah, I love this show. Like nothing can go wrong. For me, I remember when it came out and I was working um, in publishing at the time as kind of like a book buyer for school specific markets. And I remember being like, this is perfect. This is such a wonderful, accessible point for Spider-Man for like if you're a kid who's just really excited about the character and like the art is so good and the way it is like, you know, obviously there's like this sort of light overall story, but the way each issue has its own wonderful like summing up and adventure that you can just pick up and dip out and dip back in. It's just so, so perfect for young readers, which is why it's one of my absolute favorites. Perfect is the word I would actually use for it. It is mm -hmm. to me. A perfect encapsulation of who Spidey is, what mm -hmm. he is, his world. He's funny. He's self-deprecating. He is hopeful. He is defeated. He is yes. like, but he can also get back up. 
he he still has this wide-eyed look about the world around him which i think is a great aspect of peter parker because that's the that's that another one of those sides of we can see ourselves in yes. peter that we don't get to explore as much like that idea that holy crap i'm this is everything that's happening around me how wild is this when he meets captain america in issue 10 oh, oh, so good. my favorite issue like this entire run yeah and he just like doesn't know what to say and he's all like yeah. tongue-tied and then that one panel where he just scrunches his eyes up, he's he goes, like oh, i am the worst, the worst. yeah <laughs> hands down top five spider-man panels ever like so good people are always like why is why is Spider-Man your favorite? Like, why do you gravitate towards Peter Parker? And and like you said, Ryan, this is such a great distillation of my favorite aspect, which is that sort of like combination of wide-eyed wonder, like failing and continuing to try, like turning some things on their head from our, you know, classic runs. It's It brings out all the most identifiable and, I guess, relatable aspects of Pete, I think, in this run. And he's also in high school. He's a teenager. Yes. Like it's, it's teenage Spidey, um, which I is like him. some of the best Spidey. <laughs> and I don't, like, it's so great because like even like reading, and this is like something that like his rereading this has made me want to go back and do. Like I, when I finished this, this short series again, I read the last page where Robbie had like mentioned that he went back and read all the like Lee and Ditko stuff mm-hmm. to get like back, to get into the groove of this. And like how he forgot how short it was. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's right. It's not that long. Like people yeah. tend to think it's so long, but it's not. And it's like immediately wanted, like after reading that, I was like, I'm, I'm going to read this now. Like, and I literally started right away because I'm like, I miss <laughs> this. Like, and your book too also got me in that mood where it's like, I just, I love young Spidey, like teenage Spidey. Yeah, this was definitely a huge influence, like in terms of when I was thinking about the Peter to write in Spider-Man's Social Dilemma, because I think it's so perfect like bringing that awkward teen pete to current era in such a surprisingly also still timeless kind of way it just worked really really well uh to the point of the lead ditko run it is just over three years so mm-hmm. you know if, if anybody wants to put that in perspective dan slot has written <laughs> spider-man oh for like for over <laughs> 10 years Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley together for 111 issues or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. consecutively. Uh, there are there are teams who have done more um, together, uh, and Dan and many of his collaborators have done a ton of issues. And but it it, it sets such a groundwork, and mm-hmm. you read this with that Lee Ditko in mind, and thinking about how it takes a lot of that framework, but it also looks at what we've done over the past 60 years for Spider-Man and mm-hmm. how how he's evolved as a character, how the humor around him and around his world has gotten better and punchier and, and more prevalent and how the world has grown around him and how, you know, all of his, all the pieces around him are much broader and well-rounded and more well-established now because that's just the way it goes when you have all those years of storytelling and and i think robbie takes all of that and mm-hmm. pushes it into this like he like hyper over time turns it into this beautiful diamond of it's of a so color. fascinating because it's like even just distilling it to that point is such a feat like i don't know like like you said ryan it's like it's got all the essential like beats and all the essential pieces that you need but even then like you can immediately start thinking of things that like weren't included in this in this short twelve issue run, but it doesn't matter. Like it's still like perfect. You don't you don't need it, right? Everything yeah. that's there is for a reason, and it all feels so necessary. Like it, it it doesn't feel like there was anything in there that was like this is just because I liked it. This is just because I thought it would be cool. Like everything feels necessary and contributing to the story of who this Peter Parker is. Let's talk about that creative team. So the writer is Robbie Thompson, who, full disclosure, is one of my favorite people. This is just such a 
beautiful love letter to Spider-Man from mm-hmm. Robbie. Absolutely. But Robbie is so good. This is just what he does. He does these really well-told character stories in the midst of whatever superhero shenanigans you want to give him. And he does it super duper well. Uh, the first three issues penciled by Nick Bradshaw, who is so beautiful in his details yes. and mm-hmm. so meticulous uh, and really gets to explode with his panel layouts and his double page spreads and all the things y'all were talking about. It's beautiful. Those three issues are amazing. Mm-hmm. It's it's very, I used to describe it as like super elastic because it's such like a, it draws the eye in really well and there's so much movement on these pages in a way that works so well with Spider-Man, of course, because he is such an elastic superhero. I want to give special um, shout out because Nick also draws the opening splash, mm-hmm. the opening page that it runs mm-hmm. throughout the series, which is, uh, this beautiful sort of distillation of early Spider-Man from the bite to becoming a sort of pseudo celebrity to his hubris and, and the death of Uncle Ben to where he goes from there. And that is used throughout the, the series to, to remind you this is mm-hmm. this is all you need to remember about Spider-Man's origin. If you don't remember it off the top of your head for the first like seven or eight issues, the copy on it changes slightly yeah Mm -hmm. from which is great it totally tripped me up at first because i was like i didn't remember it either so i started skipping it then i was like just looking at the art (laughs) uh i think it was like the third issue i was looking at the art and i was like wait no this is different and then i went back and reread number two again but i was just like it just became a fun like almost like a like a simpsons couch gag type Mm -hmm. thing where it's like you know what's gonna happen but like it just slightly tweaked and it just makes it that much more like enjoyable yeah it's really smart yeah. Um, so Nick does beautiful work across those first three issues, establishing a, a, a ton of the look and feel and the, the world building for this series. And then we get four issues by Andre Lima Rojo, who is incredible and his style is so vastly different. I love what Andre brings to his pages. I love his Iron Man so much. Oh my like, God. Come on, this so shot good. alone where like Spider-Man is just like, swinging and it's just like perfectly framed in between and it's probably going to be our show art um so you'll probably be able to see it if you're not picking up the book and reading it with us but he's just swinging and just like framed perfectly between the two like spires or like towers of this like church building it looks like it's saint patrick's cathedral and it's just like it's just gorgeous like chill so the issue four where Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Doom shows up. That page is really beautiful. It's really well done where Spidey uh, gets rocketed across town and falls through three floors of an apartment building across various apartments. (laughs) It's incredible. It's really funny. It's one of those things you can look at over and over again and find little things. And it's this cutaway shot. But even earlier, I think they do this really great sequence inside a museum where Spidey is fighting this this doom bot and they're ping ponging around the atrium of the museum. And there's so much choreography put into there, so much thought into thinking about how they would flow. I, I look at that one a lot, too, and just think about how well structured that is. Yeah, there's a lot of really strong spread work in this in these books and how you're kind of showing moving action what's the words where you're literally pictorial reading is just really really interesting because it's not necessary there there aren't a ton of like static just panel work where it's just like here very simple follow the panel there's a lot of playing with the form of how panels are used in sequential reading which is really cool also i want to point out in that in that spread that you were just talking about ryan where spider-man is getting thrown through the building or is falling through the building, the bottom right-hand corner, the the basement has two boxes. One's labeled legs and the other one's labeled heads. Again, just like the small <laughs> details where you just can just search this whole thing and find all these little Easter eggs throughout. It's so good. And this also, you, you have all this and the, and the movement that you were talking about, Preeti, but then Spidey crashes down and has a two-page sequence with a little kid, yes. which oh. if you pulled that out and be like, this is Spider-Man. Yes. Done. Easy. Yeah. Oh, it's, There's it's... so much of that, though, across this book of like being able to pull those moments and be like, this is Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Like whether it is meeting his heroes, whether it is like 
just jumping headfirst into a fight, like whatever the thing is, there's so much of that. Yeah. And it's, I think, a testament to Robbie's dialogue and his beats and his pacing mm-hmm. where Spidey is torn up, getting his butt kicked and his mask is messed up and he fall, you know, crashes down right next to this kid who's eating a sandwich and they talk about it. And he's Ugh. like, uh, the, the kid named Oni's, you get in a fight? And Spidey's pretty much bad guy. <laughs> Dr. Doom. Yeah, he's a bad guy. And like that is a I I can picture a little kid yes. having this yeah. conversation. What's great is it's a little kid having a conversation with a big kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not with a grown-up. So you get a very specific kind of interaction there, which is awesome. And like the little kid says, Well, don't worry, everything's gonna be okay. Aww. How do you know? You're Spidey. Just God. perfect. And and in the midst of this whole series reminding us that the rest of the world doesn't trust Spidey. They they right. don't believe yes. Spidey is a good guy. And it's one of those things where sometimes you just need that reminder that someone is on your side. Mm-hmm. Totally. <sighs> well, it's a great precursor, right? He gives us that. And then so when the Captain America issue follows a few issues later, it's like the perfect building to that moment. Mm-hmm. Of like not only he's got the little guy on his side and then he's got the big guy on his side. <laughs> And, like, there are so many other moments where the opposite happens throughout the series, mm-hmm. too, that I really adore. Like, even in the following issue, you get that moment where, like, Spider-Man's limping because he uh. just, like, fell through a manhole cover. And then the Green Goblin runs away and he's just walking down the street talking to himself. And he's like, did you see that? Got the Green Goblin going on the run. And then the guy's like, get a job. Like, it's just a random, <laughs> like, stranger who's like, like, get a job. Three. Yeah. He's like, I have three. <laughs> It's it's really it's terrific. And then so for the last five issues of this run, uh, Nathan Stockman comes on to do art who brings in a, a very different style. Again, it is a a more like in, in many ways cartoony, but also mm-hmm. classic art style. Like I think the way he draws eyebrows, I love mm-hmm. it's one of those weird things, right? It's just I love the way Nathan draws everything, to be honest, but his eyebrow work and his facial expressions, he's so good at acting. Well, there's like a joy to it that he brings in his work, you know, in the same way that I feel like everybody pulls in these pieces. There's like this thread of joy running through that. That last issue is so good. You see every emotion because he is so good with that face work. His face work is my favorite. Like, he just plays with Spider-Man's eyes so well mm-hmm. and like really, really like makes him like expressive. And like he really does feel like an emoji where it's just like <laughs> you know what he's saying, what he's feeling, uh, even though he has a mask on. I was going to mention, Ryan, is you, you keep saying that like the artwork is like they each have their own distinct style. But I, I feel like they all complement each other really mm-hmm. well so that if you are reading this like all in one, you don't really notice the difference. Like you do, but it's not like shocking in any way. But I think the thing that I was just flipping through issue number 10, and I remember the thing that I loved about this series is like, even though there are three artists, you can tell that they're like almost like, like tipping their hat to the previous artist or like they there's a pattern that happens throughout this book where you see Spider-Man in action and like you see multiple Spider-Man, but like the previous versions of it are like faded out and like so to to show time and movement Mm -hmm. and each one of the artists does a scene like that in the exact same way. And so like, I thought originally it was just like, cause it's it's distinct enough for it to not be like a normal thing uh, or like a, a thing that everybody does. And it's just like a cool like baton pass that they each all do. Mm-hmm. And it's an issue one, issue five. And then this issue is the ones where I noticed it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a cool, like, I don't know, like we're all on a team here. We're, we're doing the same thing. And like, I can do that too. Like my turn. Uh, that's a great observation. I'm glad you brought that up Jazz. Um, I, I, I got to go back to Captain America, though. So There's good. just It's so good. The, Nathan Stockman and Robbie Thompson were also born to do Captain America. Yes. This yes. issue fully like solidifies that. That shot where Spidey is, he's like all f- flustered and he's on the top of the building. And then mm-hmm. you, the page flip as somebody like startles him. And it's Captain America with his hand on Spidey's shoulder. The way Nathan draws Cap, big, larger than life, but this... Just pure, nice guy, authentic smile. And the the conversation and the characterization that flows out of that is it is like if you took the the like your ideal version of what Chris Evans version of Captain America is like and you put him into the comic, 
it feels like that's who that is. It like sort of reflects back and forth until it becomes this like infinite mirror that just never stops and it becomes so perfect. You are blinded by it. Yes. Also, we can't not talk about the like ending to issue number 10 between Captain America and J. Jonah Jameson. Like that page is one of my all time favorite pages in comics because it takes two characters that like don't normally get together in the same room, but it finds this one string that they have like that like you can kind of bring them together and it is the funniest thing ever because it's like captain america is going into the daily bugle to like yell at james or not yell at jameson but to like be like hey <laughs> spider-man it's a not a bad guy worded letter right? yes <laughs> in person <laughs> yeah in person strongly worded letter yes captain that's america exactly what it is puts a stamp on himself delivers himself to <laughs> yeah. jj jameson as a sternly worded letter it's, so, that's ex- it's it's also like a really wonderful moment of catharsis because we yes. have been building up for 10 issues of people being mean to Spider-Man. And it's what, you, as a reader, you're always like, why doesn't someone else stick up for him? Yeah. And I, I have to talk, I have something to say about that from your book too, Preeti. Um, But we'll get, that in, get to that in a second because the end of the, like the butt of this joke is that like they zoom in on Jameson's <laughs> mustache as Captain America says that he knows what like uh, menaces look like. He's like, I know what menaces look like. And he just like zooms in and it's such a great visual gag and it pays off like when you get to the page yeah. flip. But I was reading the 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 letter that Robbie wrote at the end of this uh, issue 12 and he talks about how that visual gag was completely made up by Nathan Stockman. Like that was something he wanted to include somewhere if, if we were going to tell, if they were going to tell this story. Like even if you just had that one page, like it's a perfect story on its own. Like it's great. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got all this. You've got the superheroing, but so what's so important about Spider-Man is that the Peter Parker of it all, or the Miles mm-hmm. Morales of it all. Like th- there's more to the superhero than the superhero in in the case of Spider-Man and a lot and you know all of the Marvel heroes. But through this, we've been seeing Spidey's relationship with Aunt May as it goes mm-hmm. throughout the course of the series. We see. Uh, the awesome relationship that comes together with Gwen Stacy, the connection with uh, Flash Thompson, these things, his his teachers, there's so much built around this that you get so much jam-packed into every issue and that those payoffs as we go into 10 with the Jonah of it all, you know, 11 and 12 with Aunt May, and then that Gwen Stacy oh. stuff. Issue mm. 12, when they have a kiss and it's so cute you know the the acting parts also happen throughout all of these sequences there's a moment where gwen like pushes her hair back as she's Mm -hmm. asking peter to the dance and i was like man that is just so perfect and they build so much character in such a small movement in one panel it's such like a great balance of i always love a good slice of life superhero story and this book like fully delivers on the slice of life stuff Oh, yes. Just like perfectly interwoven with his superhero life. I Because Peter Parker to me is like the ideal version of Slice of Life because it is so like relatable. And so you love getting to see it's It's a coming of age, you know, YA story. He's like 16 and he acts 16 and he looks 16. And yeah. so getting to see him in high school and dealing with these things like. I love that moment. In, I don't remember what issue it is, but his he's like daydreaming and thinking about other things in his classroom and the teacher throws a chalk at him and he yeah. catches it. But then he's like, the teacher's just like, okay, but what is the answer <laughs> to my question? <laughs> I want to move on to talk about your book, Preeti, because a lot of the same themes that we're talking about in, in this uh, small run are present in your story, Spider-Man's Social Dilemma. You mentioned how this book kind of like played a role in influencing mm-hmm. that like what were some of the themes that you wanted to make sure you played with what did you want to do going into the story i will say i didn't reread it before i started writing i tried to do the thing that you're supposed to do which is stay away from the thing that you're writing so that you can do it but something that stuck with me from when i originally read the series was how perfectly coming of age it was because it it lets peter exist in this really uncomfortable space where he's like trying so hard to be good at something but just for both internal and external reasons messes up and has to like deal with that on top of not doing well in school or dealing with crushes or like the stuff at home it it interweaves all those things in such a short 
run that I was like, that's that's exactly it. That's the Peter Parker that we want to pull onto the page because that's the Peter Parker that kids are going to want to read about, you know, dealing with the things they're dealing with. Not necessarily. I mean, I love like early mid 20s, like doesn't have his stuff together. Like, that's my guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when you're, you know, 12 years old, it's the high school superhero that you're like, that is how is he doing it? How is he doing this? I read them back to back. Like I finished your book and completely dove in to Spidey. And it was very much like a moment where I'm like, I had to remember what pieces came from what, because it just (laughs) felt all of a whole. It's just like the very same kind of like slice of life type of stuff that you were talking about where I'm like, I want to know everything. And like, oh, who's, who's like his, in his class. Cause like you have different players in your, in your story, like, you know, Gwen's in, in Spidey and we have MJ over in uh social dilemma. I'm curious, like what went into like the cast that you wanted to bring in? Cause there's also a couple villains in here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, Mary Jane was my, like she, she and Peter, my OTP. <laughs> that's, that's who it is for me. Um, with like Felicia sliding in on the side sometimes. Hell yeah. But I really like their dynamic and I think there's an opportunity there uh, or an, I had an opportunity where I was like, well, she's going to be a really central part of the story. Like the book won't work without her. She has to have her own storyline. She has to exist as a, a separate character with separate wants, separate needs, all of those things because I like her so much. She's so strong in the comics because of how long Spider-Man's been going on. We don't get a ton of, Mary Jane at that age outside of like, you know, you have the ultimate Spider-Man with the different universe, Mm -hmm. but it just felt like a really fun opportunity to me. And then for the side characters, there were some I used, you know, of course, with Robbie Robertson. And that was, I think, the main not main already existed teenager. The rest I got to make up, which was kind of fun. I was like, oh, I'm just going to create like a Queens high school situation here. That's great. (laughs) And who's going to be in that classroom? (laughs) <laughs> oh, Flash Thompson is in it. Oh, yeah. And, and Liz Adams briefly. Flash is just there to kind of be a jerk, though. I did not humanize him in the same way Robbie did <laughs> in Spidey. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, he's just going to be kind of a jerk. <laughs> just a jerk. I mean, in that in that period, he's mostly just a jerk. Yeah. You know, in whatever universe <laughs> we're looking at, he's mostly just a just jerk. Just a jerk. And that's fine. <laughs> Uh, in terms of, of the villains, you know, who were you like hoping to use specific, you know, antagonists and characters? Um, were they like suggested to you? Did you just like get to go hog wild? Who do we see in the book? I was very, you know, it's a trilogy. So this is the first book. So I had to think through like who was going to be across the three books, who was going to be sort of like the, the book villain, because there is obviously a larger story. There's like a new villain I created for the series. Is it Pandemania? Pandemania was literally, I was like, who is a like D-list villain that no one is talking I about? I cracked up when I when, when the name got dropped. Because like at first, <laughs> like, when she's described, you're like, who is this? Like, okay, whatever. I thought it was maybe Beetle because that was some, a character that was also introduced. And then it's like, no, she's wearing a panda hoodie. And I'm like, get out of here. I know who this is. <laughs> and the minute she's name dropped, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, the wildest, like... <laughs> D-list, like, just ran most obscure character that I could think of. I, I will say, not the most obscure because Penamini was in one of the animated series. Like, That's true. to have actually made it there probably means there's more people, more kids who are like, no Pandamania because of that <laughs> one or two episodes than, than you would expect. And they may okay, never valid. get their love, but now they'll be like... They're showing up. We got to remember every character is somebody's favorite. Somebody is going to find out that Pandemania shows up here and is going to lose. They're going to buy the book just because they're going to be like, yes, finally. (laughs) Time to shine. That's what's so great is that there are so many characters. So the first book, I went with Sandman as kind of the the book villain because I think he's got enough recognition because he's been around. um, But that I wouldn't have to go too in depth with like who he is and and all of those things. But he's also a really fun character to play off Peter Parker and to give an opportunity to like build who this world's Peter Parker is. And he was great for the thread that I wanted to pull into the book about sort of 
anger and and being manipulated by outside forces and and those things those sorts of things because he can get very scary very quickly um, because he has so much strength. And so that's sort of where the line of thinking was. There was what was nice was like Marvel was pretty cool in terms of being like, yeah, have fun, like come up with a story, figure out who you want to use. And they were there to pull me back when I was maybe being too excited and trying to do too much. They're like, no, only Pandamania. Let's let's just stick with her. (laughs) I do think at one point I was like, what if he has to fight? Like I was picking people from the Senator Six to throw in the middle of the book and they're like, reel it back. (laughs) Come back. (laughs) Which was the right call. (laughs) Fair. Fine. (laughs) When you were writing this and starting to get into the trilogy, how much separation had you had from working on the previous Spidey books that you'd done, the ones that are more like closely tied to the sort of MCU vibes for Spidey? Um, Pretty, pretty far. I wrote, you know, that Peter and Ned's Ultimate Travel Journal, I wrote in winter 2018. And this first manuscript for Spider-Man Social Dilemma, I wrote, I think, in like February, March 2021. So there was like a nice break um, between coming up with those two. What was a great thing that came out of writing Peter and Ed's Ultimate Travel Journal is learning, really actively learning how you have your own version of these characters in your head. Because when I wrote that first draft of Peter and Ned's, one of the notes I got back was like, our Peter wouldn't say this. Hmm. And I was like, but mine would. <laughs> <laughs> but it did. It, it made me I, I had to really consider the different versions of Peter Parker in my head. And so it helped me solidify who this version was. You mentioned uh, one of the themes in this book, which is like anger and like being manipulated by outside forces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought one of the things that was really fascinating was how you tied it to social media and technology. One, I have a question about like, you know, just why you decided to tackle social media or like tackle like this digital age. I think because I have benefited a lot from going to conventions where educators and librarians speak, um, I got to hear a lot about how they're trying to work with kids to make them understand how to use the Internet. Like media literacy is something I'm not sure we've quite grappled with on a grand scale in this country Mm. and it's super super important to understand how we like get our information and and why we think the things we do and how what we're reading influences us and we haven't quite figured out how to disseminate that idea to the masses and so it's something I wanted to bring up because I know there are a lot of librarians and teachers doing really really good work in that area and so to me this was like well if you're in the classroom and you're reading this book with your students what is something you can pick up on and talk about in a real world sort of version using this as a teaching tool? And so that's why I wanted to go with that, because it's important to me. And I think it's something that we should be talking about a lot more than we are. Definitely. Just thinking about your Peter and your Spidey, uh, do you have any recommendations for listeners of books that, you know, Spidey stories outside of Spidey that we've talked about, but things that you think about you know, when you think of Spidey and, you know, maybe sometimes you go back to. Um, Obviously, I love Spectacular Spider-Man. Chip Starsky's uh, run from a few years ago. Eve Ewing's Spider-Man Miss Marvel team up is one of my favorites. It's so fun. And it's that's a really strong character book because it takes the two of them and forces them to sort of like think about who they are, uh, which is really, really wonderful to read and and experience. Um there's just so much good Spider-Man, which is really There's so nice. much good Spider-Man. Like when when Jasmine reached out about this and was like, what would you want to read? And I think one of the other ones I said was Spider-Man Blue because I Ugh. freaking love Spider-Man Blue. It's another strong character book, right? Those are my, my favorites, I think. Yeah. Like my favorites are the books that really get into who Peter Parker is and how his life has impacted not just his superheroing, but how he like interacts with the people around him in his Peter Parker life. And so those are those are some of my favorites. I love yeah. it. What can we look forward to in the future? Um, well, so like book two, I'm working on edits right now. It's going to come out next year. I have definitely told the Internet, but the bad guy's the spot. Yes. <laughs> in, in the second one, uh, independently, independently of Spider-Man 
across the Spider-Verse, but independently came to the spot as the villain, which was hilarious to me because I was just excited to get a scene where Peter punches himself in the face through a hole. I was like, that's it. That's what I'm basing my whole idea on. (laughs) Avengers Assembly Book 3 comes out in like three weeks. Oh my God. I know. So it'll be two weeks from the day that this actually releases. Yeah, so I think it's September 6th, I want to say. For exchange students 101, no EX, just the letter X. (laughs) Just the letter X. I love it. I wonder what that could mean. Hmm. Always a delight to talk with you, especially about Spider-Man. Always fun, always available to talk about our boy. Yeah. Our boy, Spidey. Thank you so much, Preeti. This was great. Thank you. All right, big thanks once again to Preeti for coming on the show, talking about Spidey and her book and all that stuff. I did want to point out that um, after I tweeted about the issue 10, I know you did as well, Jasmine. Yeah. (laughs) um, But I tweeted about the series and I was reminded by artist Nathan Stockman that there was a special issue. Spider-Man Master Plan was the by Nathan and Robbie Thompson and Jim Campbell. And Nathan says master plan was the official unofficial 13th issue, same creative team. So if you want a little bit more, you can read that to get a special 13th issue. That isn't really a 13th issue, but can kind of scratch that itch. Yes. Everybody go read that, uh, the full run and Spider-Man master plan. Uh, and then join us again next week. Because we're done. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And he is also a social dilemma. But for different reasons than Peter Parker's social dilemma. Yeah. No, but like Brad himself is a social dilemma. Yeah, it's kind of, it's awkward. It's a lot. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.